This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. Are you kidding me? What is poppin' everybody? <laughs> and welcome back. To another special episode of the Only Friends podcast. <laughs> well, you know, are you, it's me are you, and are you my fucking kidding me? Only friends. <laughs> and Berkey's somewhere around there. What's up, Berk? What, what I loved about that is that, like, we, he, he realized too late, but he, he didn't even, he just skipped the first couple words. He just went to pop in everyone. Like, he just, like, just kind of dived in at the point where he should have been by that stage. I loved it. This can't be real. How that was your best intro yet, Conrad. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. I, I thought you were How doing a bit. Like, I thought you were, like, pretending to not be ready. I thought you were going to be like, oh, didn't see you there. Like, nope. but no, you nope. just nope. actually nope. didn't I was looking at the wrong on. screen. Wow. <sighs> rough, rough, rough day. What's poppin', yeah. guys? Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing okay. But we're employed by us, man? Yeah, I, I don't know. We're, we're probably doing better than you by the look of things. Yeah. The level of sympathy we have. Too high. Womp womp. Too much sympathy. I thought you died last time. Now you died again. What's going on, Conrad? You're dying a lot lately. Lots to death. Did nothing more than that. Like, there's no answer. There's no. He's. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I, I see. I see. I see like a dead weight. You know that's Connor right now after an hour of sleep. Yeah, I, we we shouldn't do one hour of sleep, Connie, uh, too often on this thing. I think. Can't sleep. Can't sleep. Can't sleep. That's rough. That's rough. What are you guys oh. doing? What's popping today? Where are you at, Burke? You're on anorexia, I'm, in the, I'm in the wonderful mountains of Utah, Utah. Uh, I don't know Utah, what city Utah, Utah. Yeah, I don't know what city I'm in. I'm I thought there was a. City. I actually thought there was a city called Utah, and you were in Utah, Utah. No, I was scared. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I'm just giving you my best here. Um, you look like a lot. You're like in a log miles cabin away from North City. See, this is why you have to put the zoom calls on the confidence monitor. Cause Landon's going to talk over me the whole show. No, uh, no it, it's up there. It's up there. I talk over you on uh, purpose. That's even worse. Uh, yeah, I'm in somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Utah, uh, clinging to whatever little Wi-Fi connection we have. So I could call into the show. I heard that it's been down real bad without me. Nikki hit the bat signal. She was like, look, we need you, man. I was like, all right, I'll find a 45 minute break from uh you know kicking back and relaxing a little bit here at the cabin and i'm gonna hop on the call with the young gents so i have so, a question how do you not know yeah. where you are like how uh, how did you end up there well, if you don't know where you are well because you find a salt lake and then you just take an uber somewhere to a an undisclosed location <laughs> but even, location. even to take it like for, for normal people yeah. like for me if i'm taking an uber i have to tell uber where i want to go so like how did you get there well i'm in the i'm in the timber moose lodge that was exactly what I put in the Uber. Oh, okay, so you just don't know what town you're in or like where, no. like you're just, wow, okay. Uh, I'm, out there. I'm somewhere like 20 miles, uh, I think, east of Salt Lake, or sorry, of Park City. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't really matter. And you're, you know, you're just the snowboard? sitting in saunas and doing yoga and whatever? Yeah, yeah. I'm in a mindset retreat with uh, Elliot Rowe and his, his crew. They oh, are... that's what that is. Okay, I see. Yeah, they're, they're a bunch of high performers. Uh, I am the only professional poker. Oh, no, that's not true. Kev Martin's here. Um, so we're the two poker players. Uh, the other, like, 16 are 
entrepreneurs running businesses, doing big things, actually making change in the world. And we're kind of just sitting back and absorbing, wondering where it all went wrong. <laughs> so you and you and Kev just have to sit there and be like, yeah, we're, we're just poker players. Like we don't really do anything of any value to anybody. <laughs> like, No, he actually, he told a remarkable story today. It was the most captivating 30 minute long story I've ever heard in my life. Um, I'm going to twist his arm to get him on the podcast and try to have him tell it again. Just, I've never seen somebody use the level of detail, like the, the precision, the timing, the pace, the cadence, everything was just like so perfect. Uh, and I don't want to steal his thunder by, by giving away much of the story, but he is a remarkable storyteller. Interesting. Are you All really right. the, just there for an introduction to Mormonism? No, there's no, there's no Mormons here that I know. <laughs> Chris Mormonism? Don't, don't do Mormonism, be, man. There's got to be I, at least one. I've I've been down some rabbit holes with some some podcasts about the creepiness that is Mormonism. Don't do that shit. I mean, it can't be worse than Scientology. Have you seen? This? It's basically well, the same <laughs> as Scientology. That's what I'm saying. Like Scientology and Mormonism have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. That's well, one believes in the spaghetti monster. That's a big differentiator. Is that, is that really yeah. a thing? A flying spaghetti yeah, monster, of course. Scientology, yeah, Scientologists. No, it's it's like it's something about an alien that's called Xenu that like is gonna take us all off to some to live on some other planet or something. Like Scientology is take us away. There's a lot of layers to it, but once you get down to like the hardcore Scientology beliefs, it is insane. So it is like, like yeah. it's absolutely like a multi, insane. It's like a multi-layered lasagna, if yeah, you will. Exactly. That's how they get you. They start with this vaguely normal sounding stuff and then when you get like years into Scientology, they're telling you about aliens and all sorts of weird shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the universe is like trillions of years old. Yeah, something like yeah. that. I had a I had a Scientologist try to recruit me once in the UK. Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he like tried to sell me their their book and everything and like Eventually, I realized it was a Scientologist, and I was like, "All right, I'm out of here." But it was uh, it was a weird experience. <laughs> yeah, the the documentary Going Clear on HBO or the docu series is unbelievable. Yeah, at mm -hmm. kind of unraveling the the backbone of Scientology, mm -hmm. and it's fucking wild how deeply rooted uh, Hollywood is in it's not only crazy. propping it up but like spreading it. Yeah, yeah. I mean they 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 have a lot of influence over like the cops and stuff in, in LA, like they, they're able to, anytime someone tries to investigate Scientology and say, Hey, you guys are doing a bunch of illegal shit in your compound or whatever. They can just shut it down and it, they just get away with so much crap. It's, it's crazy. Honestly. Yeah, pretty well. What do we got on the, on the agenda today, Landon? Me yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, but Brian, how are we? You didn't get to speak yet. My, my tortoise from far, far. Talk to me. I'm here in the uh, parks in the hills of the mountains of um, Utah. I'm in the hills of Pennsylvania. We're really spanning so, you know, the country uh, today. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. How's that side of the contradiction line? Parents' house. You know, enjoying uh, enjoying the greenery of everything. It's nice to see green <laughs> out of the dust. Gonna get gonna hit up a couple pirate games while I'm home. You know. Sounds miserable. Eating out of the garden, just living living a good life. How are the pirates and where are we at with the Reds bet? Reds win. So the Pirates, well, the Pirates are doing pretty well in the second half of the year uh, down the stretch. <laughs> They're above 500, I think, in the last 50 games. And yesterday, I just they just crossed their 67th win, which means I won my uh, my over wins bet. Woohoo! I feel like Br Brian and the Pirates always do the over wins bet, and there's always Ws yeah. to be had. And I always win. 
the league underappreciates them, but you mm-hmm. appreciate them exactly how they should be appreciated. You should have actually smashed next them this year. year. I know I should have. I wish I would have bet a lot more than I did. But um, <laughs> next year, next year they'll be in the seventies. This is a classic gambler, huh? The, oh yeah. man! I, I won, therefore I should have bet more. <laughs> I won, you therefore know, I should have yeah, put the course. house. No, it's like course. it's like when you when you bet almost all in on the river, or you bet yeah. like a, a, a certain percentage of pot, and you're like, and then you get snap called, and you're like, oh, I wish I just jammed. Well, yeah. Not really, because Brian <laughs> Brian was well aware about the prospects that were coming up, and is this O'Neill Cruz? And yeah. And they were only yeah. The six, Cruz got hurt. Like, yeah. I understand he season. got hurt, but I'm just saying they should. That's why I'm saying they should have smashed it. Yeah. Oh, they should. I thought you were saying he should. He should have also should. smashed it because he knew this. <laughs> wait, and, wait, wow. wait a minute. Wait, okay. wait, no, wait, they, wait. they did. No, they did smash it. I mean, he, they hit it. They hit it now. They still have um, seventeen you know, games? games ago. Yeah. Or seventeen games ago. Yeah. yeah so. Well, like prospects are yeah, so they're, they're prospects. Win another, you don't know, you know they're actually hopefully they win another eight games. They're prospects for a reason. They're very good players. The like, prospected to be a good player, yes. That doesn't mean they are going to be one. I mean, in baseball, I mean, you get dragged through the mud to get there. You have to go yeah, uh, single A, double A, being triple A. a like by the time you're yeah. called up, you're ready. Well, for the most being part. a Pirates fan, I know that a prospect doesn't always equal a good player. Well, you're also probably just thinking about bad prospects. Like, oh my God, right. we have a chance this year. Look, as much right. as we love prospects, we also love the poker community finding love. So if you guys want <laughs> Melissa to review your dating profiles, that can happen tomorrow. That was an interesting segue. Yeah. yeah. That, was a, that was a big, incredible, big left turn, but you know. We're, sw- we're swooping around. Where can they submit their dating You can uh, send your profiles and links to screenshots uh, to podcast at solveforyacademy.com. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I guess the idea there is if you're willing, I don't know. If you're a psychopath, send it over. Are if, willing yeah, for this. If you want to have your, probably have your self esteem completely taken apart, you will be bashed. Maybe profile is actually really, really good. I was right? going to say, maybe really somebody good. special. Yeah. I mean, what I if, feel like. What if, what if uh, Melissa finds love in all of this? That would oh, honestly be a pretty wild a outcome. Yeah. That would also that would be, be a swooping left turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be pretty interesting. Yep, I'm here for this. Yeah, yeah it's going to be love this is gonna be a big in episode. the strangest ways. Does it? <laughs> Does it? Yeah. I it on my Look at me. I met Michelle on the fucking <laughs> boat, the Turks and Caicos. She, her best friend, met her her uh, husband, a not husband, at the Staten Island dump. <laughs> <Jeez. And> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, that must yeah. be a story. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Landon, why don't you shout out our man Platt for dimming the lights yesterday? In a WSOP uh, yeah, we we got to shout. Give a big shout out to Mavs UFC, USC. I mean, okay, I love you, Jeff, but this name is usually Mavs USC. There's a Mavericks fan and a USC fan. Yeah, I get it, but like we could do a little bit better than t- than team names why? and colleges. He likes them. Anyways. Congrats, Platt. <laughs> That's how you fucking get it done, baby. What, what do you Almost. What do you think is optimal no. when it comes to online screen names, Landon? Do you go for action dealer? Funny? Seems great. Action dealer is a good one. Something funny, something anonymous, something recognizable. What do you think? Names and numbers are tough. Mm-hmm. Names and numbers work if there's a flow to it. Like McCallum twenty five, Ryerden, good name. Mm-hmm. Berkey eleven, I good like name. Pl- mm-hmm. Yeah, I like a play on words like Salt for Bry. Salt for yeah. Bry. Uh, niche, <laughs> niche, but good. good. Name. Yeah, 
recognizable <laughs> to a very small group of us. Exactly. Yeah, like I like that. Like bracelet hunt. There we go. Bracelet, there you go. Yeah. Another bracelet good one. hunt. That's, yeah. that's, niche, a, but that's good. a play on my name. You know, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't, you don't uh, I mean, Melissa's Poker Dad 1960. Ironic. Whoa. Oh, that's our screen. Yeah, I didn't that. know that. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah. funny. Wait, did Ryan Reese win? No, he had second. Oh, that's okay. So. Bit, like Bitcoin? Interesting name. Is that Ryan Reese? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, cool. But I think, wait, R go back. Radorin got. Ryan got second yeah. or first? He got first. Oh, well, if, yeah, you said, if you said Reese got second. No, Reese he... won. Sorry, Reese. Nope, wait, nope. Wait a minute. We don't know That's yet. That's not ended. What do you mean we don't know yet? I'm saying. You just told me no. From the graphic, from the Jets graphic. I can't tell. I think when I checked last, they were heads up. Ryan had a bunch of chips. Uh, but when Jet, like in that picture, how am I going to know who wins when there's two, still two left? Right. I mean, you just told me no, he didn't win. <laughs> Clearly, no, he did not win. Yeah, because I, th I thought I knew better, but I didn't know better. Sometimes you make a mistake. Also, well, also like it's good Lucky's, to see the Lucky's research team is up on yeah. it, as, the, as always. Look, you guys, I, you guys I, I have to run baby. point today. Our research team is now asleep. Wapo's busy trying uh, to get all the graphics. You know, we got a lot going on here. Conrad, help. Did he win? <laughs> I, can't, I can't even find it on the thing. Let's get Conrad on We're the research, the and then we'll, we'll talk about something else in the meantime. We got other stuff well, to talk well, about, right? Are We're you doing guys firing any of these? Are you guys firing any of these WSOPs, Hunt? Um, I I probably will at some point, but I have a bunch of other stuff. I have some stuff. I have some like videos to make for Wizard. I just finished recording my next course for for us. Um, so I have a bunch of content that I'm working on, and I probably won't have a ton of time to play this month, but a little bit here and there. Man, it's tough to do it all. How do you do it all? Like how do you how do you do it all in the sense of trying to have He's a, responsible a lifestyle, <laughs> a fitness routine playing tournaments, doing a podcast. Like, how, how are you supposed to do all of it? How are you supposed to do all of it? I you're don't looking know. at me. I don't, I, I'm looking yeah, at you, Guapo, because you like, tell me. You're looking over at Guapo as if Guapo is the one with <laughs> all the answers. Over, I'm looking over at the Silver Knights. Yeah. <laughs> Guapo is well, probably I mean, look, the busiest out of all of us. I was so going to say, like, out of everyone here, answers. I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm putting in the most work. Um, yeah, right. how do you do it? You just don't sleep a lot. And try not to think about it. Just think about the money you're saving. That's money fact, saved well, is money earned. Yeah. My mattress, dude, gotta, like it used it's to hard be to spend like money three feet off the ground. If you're working, now it's easily six feet off the ground. Wow, is that what yeah. you guys do? Put it under the mattress? I mean, mm -hmm. it's probably better than crypto. <laughs> Before it tanks, <laughs> more stable, more stable. The, pe the people are saying on the twitters that it's time to long it. Long the crypto. Long crypto. Yeah. Do we know who uh, won the tournament? I'm trying <laughs> to find out. Just texted the chat. <laughs> Hunt, we, we were trying to find out who won a certain tournament, and suddenly now we're talking about crypto. John won. Peak, uh, yeah, Reese got second. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So when I was, I was, con my convictions were correct, but I was not certain. You ain't no okay. shit. Yeah. So shout out to John Ryden, aka McCallum25, for winning the bracelet. Reese second. Jeff, podcast run good maybe. Comes on the podcast Monday. Oh, Jeff's just the fucking man, man. He Third just gets bracelet. shit done. Mm -hmm. Just get shit done. Reds is the 3200 online, you know, gets third. 50K. No you think big he's going to be a poker goat today for the satellite? Yes. For the poker masters? You don't fuck around. That's fucking Jeffrey fucking Platt, man. He'll probably be there. He's there. Are you firing these? I don't know. It sounds like no. <laughs> sounds you don't like know. No. What do you mean? You act like I make a schedule. What about the podcast run good, bro? Yeah. It's true. Let Anyways. Tell you. Anyways, let's actually get on to this topic that we actually want to talk about today. Strategy, something yeah. I can talk about for a while. Let's do some strat chat. Let's do some strat chat. That's what we bring Matt Hunt in here for. Yeah, apparently that's my, my purpose on this. This, on this, is your, this is your single purpose for the moment, but yeah. potentially, uh, what is it? 
jumping point for the future endeavors? Yeah, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I mean, I guess what I, was refer- what I was referring to is that's why I'm here today, right now, you know. So yeah, but you, like you maybe can, you'll like, come here to it. talk about like retreats next time. Oh, maybe. You know? Like maybe you'll go on an anorexia retreat. I doubt it. I, I mean, I, we, we've already touched on stuff like baseball and crypto, which I'm definitely not here to talk about. So let's talk about some strategy. All right, let's talk about strategy. Today we're going to talk about three simple things and mindset shifts that every player should really get to know. Yes. Um, uh, we've... I think we've we've kind of each of them is like stuff that comes up quite a lot in content that we put out or at the academy or discussions we've had before on this podcast but it's kind of nice to to have them sort of brought together because i think all of them are just areas that people get very i don't want to say areas that people get wrong but like it, things that people trip up on a lot particularly when you're in that that period of time where you're just starting to learn the game where you're just kind of growing your your game to the point where you're really a solid winning player. <clears throat> yeah, so the things that we picked out from uh, a list that we saw on the internet, <laughs> we decided with starting with thinking about maximizing EV rather than winning the pot. Yeah, um, I think that's a really big one and I think it just comes from when you first start playing poker, you have this natural desire to... <laughs> to get that positive reinforcement that comes with winning hands, right? Like you win a hand, you feel good because the chips get shipped your way. And it takes a while to get over that kind of feedback loop that comes with that. It takes a while to, to get to the point where you don't just immediately think, well, I won the hand, therefore I must've made the best play, right? And you only start to get into the mindset of thinking about EV once you really get into the weeds and start studying a lot more. And um, certainly I... I I think in the the beginning stages of when I started playing poker, I I had the same issue of, particularly because it wasn't in the era of being able to use solvers. Like it it was very easy to just look at like, well, I won the hand, therefore I probably didn't make a huge mistake, right? And then it just becomes the inverse as well, where when you lose a hand, you're suddenly thinking, well, I must've played it badly. What could I have done differently? You know, so it's a, it's a difficult loop to to break out of, I think. Yeah, at least for when I, Especially uh, when I played a bunch online uh, prior to working with uh, Nick Howard and Detox, there's just so much of the identity shift of trying to think that you're a winner because you win pots. Mm -hmm. But theoretically, like if you have aces pre and you jam, you're going to win the pot a lot and get the folds. Mm -hmm. But is that actually how you win the most amount of money? Mm -hmm. And the answer is clearly no. So now you're trying to wrestle this in-between of trying to win as much money as possible, as securely as possible, mm. in a game that's unsecure. Right. Right. You're looking for something that the game is never really going to give you. Like It'll never give you that. Yeah, you're looking to have a confidence about the outcome. You're looking to have some sort of control that you can't actually have. Um, so it, it's it's a difficult thing to to get over, but I, I think it it starts to get easier when you're studying in a way where you're not focusing on the wrong things. You know, when you're studying and you're actually thinking about the ranges that you're employing and your overall strategy, it becomes a little bit easier to not get distracted by individual results of specific hands. Hunt, I have a question for, for yeah. you from the people. Okay. And the What's people that? being Ifra, people's okay. spokesman. Okay. He says, question Voice for Hunt. People. Voice of the people. Cutoff raises 2.2. Okay. Button 6X. Yeah. We're a small blind with ace jack suited and 26 effective. Do we exactly. bunt the runner over to third, or do we long Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Nice. We're all in. I, whatever the equivalent of that is, you can just assume that you just convert being all in into one of those two things that you just said so, and just go with that. So we're long in Bitcoin. I guess. Yeah. We're long in Bitcoin. Diamond hands. That's diamond called diamond hands. hands. Throw them up. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> just go with it. Got so it. that means you never sell. So I, I have, uh, I guess, uh, a follow-up question to the conversations taking place because <clears throat> I think it's easy for us to identify what the problem is and mm -hmm. that there is a very clear negative feedback loop um, in poker as well as a positive one, and neither yeah. one of them are very reliable. Mm -hmm. um, what then do you suggest to newer players that are going to be victimized of this and can't just front-load so much study Mm -hmm. that immediately they understand the game at a deep mathematical level. Sure. Yeah, I think the the thing that I've always tried to use to address this is just not not looking back too much. You know, not looking at hands you've already played and trying to rewrite the history of how that hand played out and how you should have played it differently and how you could have engineered a different outcome, but looking forward at, you know, what spots am I going to be in in the future and what's my strategy going to look like for that spot when it comes up? Uh, and, and that sort of thing, whether it's looking at hands and not focusing on your whole cards, but on your whole range, or whether it's just creating a, a situation for yourself out of thin air and asking yourself to kind of brain solve it on some level, um, whatever it is that is is not looking back at some hand that already happened and trying to review it and rewrite it, I think that does a lot to get people out of the mindset of focusing on wins and losses or you know, pots gained and pots lost as opposed to actual decisions. So if you're focusing forward into the future, I think that helps a lot. I mean, I would probably preface by having a true understanding of where you're winning. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between knowing what, what EV is. Winning? What if you're not winning? Well, yeah. if you're not winning, you would, if you're not winning, the new approach would be figuring out where you're not winning and how you fix that, if possible. Right, because most mm -hmm. people, when it comes to an environment, assuming the game's not cheated, somebody is probably winning. Hopefully, because like the game's not that tough yet, right? Because we would run into that issue if you're playing versus call it, um, like you if everyone's losing to rake. It's like, well, where am I? Where am I winning? I'm not because I'm losing to rake. So it's like, okay, I probably shouldn't play that game because there's no win right here anymore. But if you're losing in a game, um, and Sometimes it comes down to coaching, having somebody else kind of help you find where you're lost. But <clears throat> in order to get to a point where you can figure out like where you're losing, you have to understand what EV is in, the, is, what EV is in the first place and how you're generating it yourself. Because in some spots that you're losing, there might be some spots that you're winning too. So if you know where you're winning, it's easy to, it's not easy to figure out where you're losing, but it does kind of help you figure out, okay, what are things that other people in the pool are doing that are putting me in tough spots that are making me lose? Because there's mm -hmm. definitely like pain points of maybe trying to find calling frequencies or finding check raises in the first place where you're trying to figure out, okay, I'm facing tough spots from specific people or specific, uh, specific lines. How do I now work on them? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's through like trainer, trainer <laughs> drills. Like I do that for MTTs all the time having different stack depths, like different principles, and then kind of just playing out different nodes that you feel relatively weaker in. Yeah, I think that yeah. the, the only issue that I see people running into with that kind of approach is I think a lot of people already look at it in terms of where am I winning, and they see, well, I'm winning when I get it in with the best hand, right? So mm -hmm. 
what they do is they try to maximize that, right? They try to say, okay, well, I just need to make sure that I get it in with the worst hand less often or get it in with the best hand more often. And in their mind, the answer to that is I just play tighter, learn to make big folds. Like maybe I should sometimes fold kings pre-flop because they always have aces and stuff like that. And so they get into this recursive loop of their evaluation of where they're winning or losing is just based on the outcomes of hands. And they're back yeah. at the same problem. I, I think that that speaks to the uh, instability of the feedback loops and the bigger mm -hmm. problem at hand. Like what Landon's suggesting is a very sophisticated response, right? Uh, that works for people who already have a very high level understanding of how the game moves and what EV truly is. By the way, Hunt, your shot today looks magnificent. Guapo, you're, you're doing the world's <laughs> oh, work wow. out there. Well, I, um, I appreciate that. This. I appreciate I have that. I this. have no consciousness of how good or bad I look at any given time. So, well, I guess it's thanks. incredible today. But I just uh, want to let you know yeah. the comments said, Guapo, all the shots looked perfect yesterday. Beautiful. Thank you. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> It makes sense. I wasn't here, uh, so <laughs> I think I think at a high or at a lower level, to get people to that higher level understanding of of how the game just truly works and how you actually can measure where you're winning and losing in spots, it's just imperative to really take the thirty thousand foot approach and understand you know the lifeblood of poker, which is just EV, and I know that that sounds very simple in uh language but it, it's truly very difficult uh, it might have been like i don't know six or seven years into my career before i really understood what ev meant um and i think that that was largely a byproduct of us not having tools we didn't really have a way to measure it so in my mind it was just this phantom thing that existed that uh you know helped decide if a person was playing a winning or losing strategy but we could never quantify it so we shouldn't really think about it kind of like markup or mm. ROI, right? Like <laughs> they exist. And in theory, there's a number there, but like we can't really get to it. So how yeah, you don't really know, know what the number is. Not really right. possible. Burke, are, you talking, Burke, are you talking about like that? Oh, sorry. I was going to say like oh, the, the anchors of poker. I actually, I was just start. Yeah, I was, I was rewatching um, Midstakes Bible and uh, like the first episode, like the introductory episode, like how do we derive EV? And like, mm -hmm. until you understand how you derive EV, you're not going to be able to get better. It's like, you know, you have to understand the uh, position, stack to part ratio and range advantage, and then the build off from there. Yeah. I, I mean, you're just a victim to the variance and the results uh, prior to really knowing what EV is. And, and yeah, to your point, like uh, it's, it's not about just quantifying what EV is. EV is a measurement of uh, dollars won through the decisions that you made, right? That's pretty mm -hmm. generic on the surface and doesn't really mean anything. But if you strip it away to its more core parts of like, okay, well, how is EV exchanged within the confines of the game? Now you start looking at things like position. There's a natural EV attachment to being in position. There's a natural EV loss to being out of position. Uh, you start to look at things like stack to pot ratio, where now uh, the sizing schemes that you choose will have different EVs based off of different stack-to-pot ratios. Uh, and then finally, um, you look at things like range advantage, which now becomes a little bit more of a complex concept, but it's kind of like your first dipping of your toes in the water of theory, where it's like, okay, well, in order for me to understand um, range advantage, I need to understand ranges. And I'll tell you something that really unlocked me 
Uh, I'm tired of looking, Brian. Can you put me on screen? <laughs> Something that really unlocked. Uh, you are on screen. Oh, I only see you. Uh, really? It's only got eyes yeah, for you. Something, yeah. something that really unlocked. How could you ever me. get tired of looking at this face? <laughs> uh, early in my career was I was playing a Brigada event. This might have been like 2007, and we didn't have preflop charts. We didn't know what was going on as far as that stuff goes. So we were largely just making it up as we went and guessing. Um, and I remember thinking like I struggle knowing what to four bet, and I just defaulted to cold calling because it felt more comfortable. But mm -hmm. I had a particular stack depth of like 30 or 40 bigs or something like that. And my table was playing very splashy. And I just told myself, I'm not going to look at my hand until it's my turn to act. And if I have the ability to three bet squeeze jam or cold four bet, these are going to be the bottoms of my range. And like for three bet squeeze jam, I can't remember the formation, but I was like, eights are better. I'm going to three bet squeeze jam, uh, ace jack suited are better. And then ace queen off. And for cold fouring, uh, all in, I'm going to pick tens are better and then just like ace queen, ace king. And sure enough, it goes like raise three bet. And I look down at two tens and I just remember the sense of calm I had in not actually having to be confused in that moment. Right. Because had I not already made that promise to myself, had I not already, uh, you know, kind of understood where the threshold sat, I would have looked at two tens and I would have just been like, mm -hmm. what a spot. Like this is such a yeah. tough spot which it is because it's, it's, it's exactly the threshold point, you know? So that was really where I started to unlock the notion of we, we have a range, not a hand in a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, that's a really hard concept to, to wrap your head around a lot of the time for, for people who are in the early stages of learning, because you have to start to understand that a range is kind of this, this entity that exists at a certain point in time where it's made up of all kinds of different hands with all kinds of different frequencies, but that range itself is is one concept, you know? And I, I'm quite, like, I've heard people talk a lot about ranges where you can kind of tell if they're not at that point where they're conceptualizing a range that way yet, because they're saying, if villain has X or Y or Z, than this, where if they have something else, then something else, right? And they're still focused on what they have, what the villain has right now. Mm -hmm. And they're not focused on the entire range because they're, they're talking about what villain could have right now as a set of individual possibilities, as opposed to a range, which is a single unified concept, you know? And as soon as you can make that shift from focused on what they have right now and if they have this or if they have that to they have a range and all of those possibilities are contained within that range at some frequency but the range is the concept that i'm attached to that's a big shift and that makes a ton of difference in in my experience yeah i, I think before you even get to that point maybe it's important for people to conceptualize that ranges have multi multiple parts and certain mm -hmm. parts will just always exist like the top of range is never going to find its way into the muck. So no matter what street you're on and no matter how much the range may condense, you can predictably understand that the top of range will be there. Your actual goal is to figure out how dense to the top your opponent's range is. So did they carry too many hands forward? Did they carry too few hands forward? This is going to change the likelihood that you run into it. Right. 100%. What are your thoughts on 
for call it to people that don't know where they're losing, especially nowadays with better tools and tools in the sense of interface, right? Mm -hmm. Like on wizard, you can just go to the study tool and play the trainer yeah. and it'll tell you like best move, like blunder, this, that, whatever. So now instead of trying to figure out yourself where you're losing, you play a trainer and then realize how far off from baseline you actually are. Mm -hmm. And then from there, using that to make your own adjustments. Because yeah. now you don't need co like you don't need coaching for that regard. Like obviously you can go that route once you get to that point, mm -hmm. but there's so much stuff you can do from self study because of the tools that are available. Yeah, hundred percent. I think there's um the, I, the way I look at it is there's two types of areas here. There's studying the blind spots that you have, which you know a lot of those tools can be really useful for doing that because you maybe you're very set that a certain hand is like a pure call and or never fold. Well, yeah or fold or whatever like you're you're just playing a certain hand a certain way because you're very confident that it is that and then the tool is able to tell you that it's not and then the second type is where you kind of consciously already recognize a sense of discomfort around playing a certain type of spot and you kind of know that you're not very confident in those spots and those are situations where as, as soon as you recognize that you're lacking confidence or you, you get into that spot and you just don't feel like you really know what to do, that in itself should be a clue that that's probably a weakness in an area where just studying those spots and getting yourself to the point where you feel pretty confident is going to help you make better decisions. So the blind spots can can be tackled a lot with these tools, but the, the stuff where you already kind of consciously know that you're not very good at this this thing a lot of players, I think, fall into the trap of they they try to build a process where they just avoid being in that spot, right? So it's like, I know that I'm not good at bluff catching rivers because I don't know when to call and when to fold. Therefore, I'm going to avoid putting myself in bluff catching spots and just like jam the turn in a spot that makes no sense, right? And that, yep. that panic jam to avoid the river bluff catch is like a super common thing when people feel that that discomfort of like, oh shit, I'm going to be in a river bluff catching spot if I call this turn and I really don't want that. Therefore, I'm going to protect myself by just ripping all in in a spot where it makes no sense to do it. And it's actually an even bigger mistake, but at least I didn't have to bluff catch the river. You know? Yeah, that, that definitely resonates with me. I've, oh, I've yeah. certainly found myself in a lot of spots. <laughs> panic, we saw it a couple times jam. at this recent academy. You know, We saw a couple of panic jams uh, from, uh, from a couple of players and uh, it just it comes up pretty regularly because it is that kind of a spot where there's a certain feeling you get of like man this this decision is hard but the next decision is going to be even harder and i really don't want to be in that spot therefore if i just jam now i'm never gonna to have to worry about it and that can be tempting but it's usually a mistake or if you fold yeah. now yeah. you don't have to worry about bluff catching mm. as well so then like yeah it's another one yeah well it's just trying to figure out the spots that you want to avoid and actually actually work on them yeah it's not just about poker mm -hmm. it's just, just like, like yeah it, it really is it's like, <laughs> like it's it's a microcosm of how you know how working on a lot of things in life works in that you you have to <clears> identify <throat> the the areas that make you uncomfortable identify the areas where you you kind of recognize that you are you're struggling and here's a, here's a question a weakness. uh diff, let's kind of, it's not off topic but like very I'm I'm not sure. How many people do you think that are winning and call it live? Let's just call it like live small stakes, like one, two, two, five, mm -hmm. and then equi equate that to like twenty five cent, fifty cent online. Yeah. Um, like twenty five and now fifty now. How many of them do you think actually get coaching or work with tools? You think it's over or under like fifty percent? We're talking uh, about way, way more players. 
of of the I people think. that are winning. Let's start with live and then online of the winning players. Yeah, yeah. I think of the winning way, players, way I I would say a a majority of them are using some kind of tool to help them, but I think a, a very small minority are actually getting coaching. I think there's a big difference I, there. I would take way under on both. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, both are very expensive. I, I would take like 10% of the field studies. Well, just for... Wow. for sorry, sorry, for, sorry. My apologies. 10% of the winners I would take as, as studies. For clarity, I, I think that I'm including like any kind of training site in in uh tools right like so i'm i'm okay. saying they they study in some fashion i'm not necessarily saying they all have a wizard subscription or they all have po mm -hmm. or something like that right but... like they rather like watch like plain explains uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Let, there's let, definitely let me, let me there's definitely that. levels of studying right there's definitely levels so it's mm -hmm. like yeah you you talk with friends or you you do this or you have a subscription to solve for why or you have you know you're working with solvers all the way as complicated as they get so it's like yeah there's definitely mm -hmm different le levels and the higher the level gets obviously this the, the percentage of people that are yeah. actually using it shrinks. I, I think if you break it down by let's say getting coaching trading sites or gto wizard mm -hmm. i would say it's less than 10 percent of the winners in the live pool wow for sure I, I would i would clarify and say that it's for sure less than 10 percent that have ever actually put any sort of input into a sim even if that mm -hmm. is there just a lookup yeah. database Okay. Like even if it's just a lookup database, like I, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's very, very few. I could definitely get on board with that. I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying the, the, the rest of it is wrong. I would just be surprised as someone who hasn't played a lot of live cash in the last like few years. Like, I would be surprised if there are that many people out there who are winning without studying at all. Like that. Cool. Just... You should talk to Mama Joe. <laughs> <laughs> who, who the hell is who, who's that? Mama Joe. Joanne. 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 Matt, your heart out is up twelve forty-five. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of oh, Joanne. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Joanne. Joanne. Okay. Yeah. Mama, I, Mama Joe. Joanne. I just based on the end boss of one three at the win. The gatekeeper. Yeah, she, she's in the streets uh, very regularly, and I, I think just talking hands with her and like doing some work with her, it's very clear that she's like one of one in most uh -huh. of those pools. Um, and I think that that's you know, good thing because it's, it's a, it's a training ground for people to get a lot better. It's a training ground for people to get adapted to the live environment and potentially turn this into a career. Mm -hmm. But it also just speaks to the, the laziness of live poker as well as like the inability to collect or collect data. Uh, and, and I guess just to put a bow on this, because I got to get out of here. Um, I did want to bring it all the way back to those that like those players, because even Landon's advice of like, well, you could just run, um, you know, whiz trainer, or you can go to the lookup database. It's like, yes, all that is true, but there's a barrier of entry to that. And I think very, very few that are in those uh, early stages of live play actually cross through that, that threshold. Um, and there's a way to circumvent it in the near term. Uh, eventually you'll have to get there, of course, but in the near term, I think that by learning like high level heuristics, uh, you know, things like EV, how it moves, uh, the, the, the components thereof, it'll get you thinking at least strategically enough to the point where you won't be overwhelmed once you get to the lookup database, because truthfully, even if you're doing the heads up trainer or lookup database or anything of that sort, it's kind of just noise. If you don't know how to analyze the data. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely true. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think when it comes to analyzing data, that's like, obviously for sure, uh, the main point um the count not the counter 
but the next step from playing the trainer is you know, and then that's be getting a coach for like a like call it weekly thing for coaching, but like have somebody that you respect or you feel like plays well and wins in the pools over X amount of time to look over your mistakes, right? Because mm. you're not going yeah. to know the heuristics or mechanics as to why you're making the mistakes, right. but the coach will see, oh, you jam this spot where you clearly don't play jams. Right. I think, or right, you check raise this spot where you don't check raise this hand, you check raise these hands. I, I think the number of people who succeed without ever even having anybody that they bounce hand histories around with or that they that they really talk to about poker, like the number of people who actually just do it on their own as, a, as a complete island. Yeah, I, that, that's got to be really small because I, I just see so yeah. few people succeeding that way these days. And I think the I've had students that have tried to do that. I've had students that have tried to be like, I'm just going to get coaching, but outside of that, I'm not going to really try to engage with the poker community. I'm not going to really make much of an effort to like keep track of the trends and strategy. I'm just going to like study on my own and have a coach. And even with a coach, it's incredibly difficult to succeed that way. You just kind of have to surround yourself with people. You kind of have to immerse yourself in poker in some way because your brain needs to get used to processing all this information and, and talking about it, putting it into words. And it just it makes such a difference to the speed of the learning process if you're just constantly talking about poker with a bunch of different people. The crazy yeah. thing about oh, poker... Let me get out of here. Uh, I thought you, I thought you were leaving. He is leaving. He's trying to leave, but you're talking over him. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think community is one of the most easily leveraged things uh, in, in today's game. As far as like advancement goes, it's important that everybody finds one. <laughs> on that note, uh, I'm going to let you guys move on to a couple other topics. <laughs> I have to take off. Uh, thank you, guys. You're doing Lord's work over there. Guapo, please keep them in line. Oh. Yes, sir. Are you going back in the sauna? <laughs> Oh. No. <laughs> this guy loves nothing more than Irish good buying in any sort of facet, but this one he had <laughs> to get his Irish last goodbye. statement across. <laughs> no, that's not an Irish goodbye. An Irish goodbye is when you just leave. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, he's he's saying that. He's saying he normally yeah. does it, but he had to get his statement across uh, this time, okay. so he did it. Mm -hmm. like, oh, gotcha. It's 12.50. Gotcha. Yeah. He's five minutes past his heart out, and then says, oh, like, <laughs> you're, I, I can't leave because you're not letting me leave. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Bullshit. How did I want to ask? How did his uh, camera shot go from like sketchy zoom zoom shit that didn't look good to like looked super clean like halfway through? What did you do, Guapo? Did you I guys? Think he actually some, moved. He was a little bit moved? further out from the cabin, and the closer he got to the cabin, I thought at yeah. a while. I thought you guys had done some kind of magic where you you got him to take a still photo of his background and just use it as a zoom background or something. Like I thought you really worked some magic there because it looked a lot better at the the halfway point than it did at the beginning. Yeah. Anyways, circling back. Um, point being, when it comes to doing it on your own. Tournaments are also a tough one because the variance that exists mm. in tournaments is so rampant. It's so hard to do tournaments on your where own. Where if you do tournaments on your own, but then have some form of run good, call it win a major tournament, mm -hmm. uh, spike, now you think that in some regards you might have all of the answers. Yeah. And because you had that former success, uh, it's like, oh, I didn't get a coach to win me this tournament, mm -hmm. I don't need one at all. Yeah. And then you kind of keep that ego-ish about... It's a weird thing to, like, asking for help in something that you're not mm -hmm. experienced in is, mm -hmm. like, looked down upon. Yeah, it's strange. Like, I've... And you're right what you say about people um, having good results and then making weird, in, like, inferences based on it because I've had, I've had a bunch of students, like, get coaching and then 
get good results right afterwards and then be like, oh yeah, your coaching helped so much like when I won this tournament. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to have made a difference and I'm glad that you won. And I'm sure that you probably did play better, but the fact that you won this tournament and you didn't win the previous tournament isn't just because of this one coaching session we did yesterday. Right. Like, it's, it's not a, like you're the godsend. Right. That... If I could just make you win by giving you coaching, like I would do that way more than I, you know, you would, then you would do like, that no. for you. Right. Yeah, you would just me. go play. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would just go play. So like. It, it, in the end, people are very prone to, to looking at results and, and just looking back and saying, wow, I studied a bunch yesterday and then I won a tournament today. Like it must have been that I won because I studied, you know, or, or something like that. But in reality, what probably happened is you just, you had 10% more confidence because you studied and because you had 10% more confidence, mm. you made better decisions in two or three really important spots. And that contributed overall to your EV in such a way that you ended up running good enough to win, you know? So it's Which definitely is important, important right? To, it, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, it's yeah. not like it doesn't matter. Like playing better is always going to help, but it's so funny to, to constantly have this, this situation come up where someone like wins a big tournament and then I get a bunch of credit for it where it's like, nah, dude, I, I don't deserve <laughs> that credit. Like give, give me the credit when you've spent five <laughs> years as a winning player when you otherwise mm -hmm. wouldn't have. And don't just give me a credit for for one tournament win because that one win had almost nothing to do with me, you know? Yeah, right. Like the, the, the spots that you're helpful will be like, oh, okay, so I was going to play this hand at final table where I didn't know that I was supposed to jam a hand like this, but because we talked about it, I yeah, did. And exactly. it worked. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. this is very clear points of help. Or yeah. it's like, okay, I would have always bet this turn and instead I checked because I didn't want to get jammed on. Right. And then I realized equity. It's yeah. like, okay, these 100%. are the concepts that can go back to you. Mm -hmm. Winning the tournament as a grand scheme has yeah. nothing to exactly. do with you. Exactly. It's decisions. It's decisions mm -hmm. always are the thing that, that needs to be focused on. The... Um, what about the, what about these other two topics that we had? So we had quick question. More, right? Let me yeah. jump in real quick. I got somebody saying, "I'm a winner at live at one, three, and two, five. Yep. And I study, but I can't beat online games at any stakes. Do you have any advice for them? At any stakes? Any stakes? Well, I mean, I think probably first of all, what's most likely happening is you're getting killed by the rake at micro yes. stakes online. Absolutely. And it also depends on where you're playing as yeah. well. Also, yeah. sample. Yeah, sample size also could, could easily be an issue. I have a friend that plays on GG. Yeah. And he plays very small. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it was, but he's up $1,000. Yeah. And he has like 180 in his account. Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> you're talking, Actually, I yeah. told yeah. you are speaking. Okay, Conrad, of. is this man in the room right now? <laughs> no, he's not. That's well, right. <laughs> uh, either way, yeah, the rake at MicroStakes Online is just insanely high. It's also just worth noting that live is just softer, right? So it's, in, it's entirely possible that you are playing the same way online that you are live and you're just losing online because you're up against players who are a little bit more studied. You know, when you're playing online, you might be playing against players who... Like you could be playing five cent, ten cent, and somebody from a country where ten cents means a lot more than it does in America sure. could actually be taking those stakes very seriously and grinding them really hard yeah. and not not necessarily playing professionally, but like that stake means more to them than it does to you, right? And with live poker, because you're all physically in the same location, it's a lot less likely that that's actually happening. So it, it is tougher online, even at micros, but yeah, the rake is just going to kill you. And you really have to be mindful of that in strategy as well, because if you're playing a high rake game, it's massively going to affect pre-flop strategy. So I would just focus on learning strategies for the rake, rake environment that you're playing online and just make sure your pre-flop game is solid because that's where a lot of people lose. For sure. 
And then what's yeah. the difference? Because so like live, the rake is super high live, right? But yeah. the, the win rates are just so much higher live and the right. players are, are worse. Well, I think so it's, it's because of an that... influx of bad players, right? Yeah, exactly right. right. Like the, right. the rake is high live still, but, and you still have to play a different game live to what most people think you do. And if you're playing like one, two live, you shouldn't be doing a ton of flatting pre because of the rake and everything. But right. Yeah. You're going to get away with it a little bit more. You're going to get punished for it less because the games are so much softer. And you're just right. going to have people putting money into the pot that shouldn't be doing it to begin with. Whereas yeah. the online like micros a, are just going like to play Like a 25 cent, yeah, 25 cent 50 game, maybe even a, a 10 cent 20 cent game or 10 cent 25 cent game is tougher than like a live one two game. Yeah, absolutely. And this actually, it's funny, right. this is a good segue into our second point because our second point was about understanding where your ev actually comes from right that was the second point on this this list yeah of three. most of your ev comes from yeah. good hands. most of your ev comes from good hands it's not just true that most of the most of your ev comes from the top of your range it's also true that most of your ev in terms of your overall win rate is coming from the weakest players in your player pool so if you are playing live cash and you're winning a lot you're, you're definitely making money based off the fact that you are doing well against the other regs and you're not losing against them and you're, you're winning pots against them sometimes. But your ability to just obliterate the weakest players in your pool and get absolute max value from them at the highest rate is accounting for a lot of your winnings. And in tournaments, the, the money that gets dumped into the prize pool by the bottom 10% of the field that has absolutely no shot at winning that is a big portion of the money that you're capturing by playing a tournament. So in the end, you know, it, it's, it's kind of about like recognizing these diminishing returns that you get. Like if you understand how to play the top of your range really well and get max value from the fish in your games, you're going to make a lot of money. But if you're playing micros online and there's not a ton of outright fish just dumping money into the prize pool, it becomes a lot harder to just get max value with the top of your range or play the top of your range in the highest EV way. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand and in environments that play really tight and environments that are just quite nitty in general. Like if you, if you play like, I forget what it's called blitz on ACR, I guess it yeah. is. Um, so like if you play one of those fast fold games online, those games play tight. Those games have, you know, narrow ranges. Like there's not a lot of like fish dumping money in the prize pool. Um, if you're in environments like that, like you just have to kind of understand where your money's coming from and it becomes a little bit trickier to just maximize these high EV spots with top of range against the fish, you know? Yeah, in order to get money from the top of your range, you have to be able to be someone that people can't just say, people can't just assign you top of range. Right, yeah. Right. If you don't have the, call it bluffs or any at all, it becomes easier to, it's like the next step of knowing what baseline is. Right, because mm -hmm. when, when you have your baseline, you're aware of the value combos and the bluff combos and how ranges play as a whole. Mm -hmm. So now if you can have a sample, sometimes, like, for some people, they use a HUD. For, some, for other people, it's just like, call it, you play enough, like, you put your hand in the fire enough times, you yeah. stop putting your hand in the fucking mm -hmm. fire. Um, you just realize that some players and some nodes are going to lean one way or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be too aggressive, some people are going to be too passive. And over enough sample, you'll be able to make those decisions as to saying, okay, I've seen enough hands to know that this specific board, this texture, these sizes that's being mm -hmm. used, these indicate something. Right. Right. You're not going to be able to know from first glance, like the first time you play against someone, whether they're too value dense or whether they're too bluff heavy. But seeing showdowns is like a very good example mm -hmm. as to kind of making those 
general broad strokes as to how you see someone playing poker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it the same goes for overall environments as well. You know, we we talked a little bit about the, the recent academy about the idea that you know players will quite often say you know they'll get into a, a certain environment or a certain game. And they'll say, well, my opponents just don't call on the river when I have the nuts. You know, how do I, like, make them call more or whatever? But they, they think that the answer is, like, play play trickier or... Right, find a turn you know, check somewhere. Yeah, just, like, something like that. But in, in, any, in most cases, the answer is you haven't conditioned your opponents to bluff catch you because you don't bluff. Like, you just have to condition your environment in such a way that they have an incentive to bluff catch at any length right so right if you are the kind of player who just doesn't have enough bluffs in your range and your opponents inherently recognize that if you're trying to avoid ever being in a spot where you just jam the river get snapped and you show a bluff then you can't really expect that when you jam the river with the nuts they're somehow going to find a call right if anything they're just going to keep finding hero folds and you're just going to keep being frustrated it's a good indication when you'll see or hear like a live table or sometimes when someone's streaming it doesn't just like have to be like mm -hmm. me at twitch.tv slash Uh Good plug. <laughs> High quality plug. Uh, it doesn't have to be me, but in the sense of you'll hear people say like, oh, this guy's so aggressive, right? Yeah. Or this person's so aggro. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't fold. I can't fold versus you. Right, right. Right. Having somebody have that I can't fold mm -hmm. versus you mentality allows you to actually get value at the top of your range. Mm -hmm. If right. someone looks at you and says, oh, like, I don't think you're bluffing. I don't believe you. Like, open folding hands that are supposed to be not only bluff catchers, but hands that are worth pot share. Yeah. Oh, attaboy. <laughs> um, I like, yeah, Lennon versus Europe and Russia. That's me playing 200 Blitz. Um, <laughs> So when people have the mentality of I can't fold versus you, but then they start outright folding hands that not only are bluff catchers at zero EV mm -hmm. at indifference, but folding actual pot share, like pure green yeah. machine calls for calls and like open folding queens on a jack high board in a three yeah. pot facing bet bet jam. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is very real it. stuff that happens. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like you, you have kings or aces and you show over like call it an ace five, mm -hmm. call it like an ace jack off, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Like that is what gets you paid with your value hands. Exactly. Because most of the time mm -hmm. you're going to have value in these notes. Right. Right. For the average person. And we've it's funny, we've kind of talked about this before, how we're like in in the past it used to be that being like quote unquote respectful for someone is like, oh, I'm gonna show you respect, I'm gonna make a big yeah. fold. I call now, you weak. Yeah, now now it's like if you're respectful for some to someone, you're you're bluff catching them. You know, like you're showing them the respect that you think they have enough bluffs in that spot, and you're bluff catching. Uh, and to to make a big fold to somebody is like disrespectful. You know, it's like this is a disrespectful fold because I don't believe you bluff enough in this spot. You know, and when you show like mm -hmm. a big fold, it's it, it's the equivalent of saying to somebody like I honestly you're yeah you're <laughs> yeah. you're just a huge nit like i honestly think you're a huge nit so i'm gonna fold yeah so it's the game is completely inverted from what it used to be and yeah and we're we're in a position now where we understand that you just have to be willing to have bluffs in these spots like it's just not an optional part of the game bluffing is not this like add-on to the game that is a bonus that you get when you're good enough that right. you can start doing it it's not know? really an I'm, achievement i'm actually gonna use that i'm gonna use it at the table like next time someone's like I'm going to show you some respect and fold. I'm like, you're actually disrespecting him. Yeah. <laughs> or you just like, table. when like, someone you, does you know, that to you, you because think, you have You think the... his game is so bad. Yeah. You think it's so bad that he's just going to have to, uh, you know, I can't, I can't have to fold top pair here. 
well, you with, never the, have any with the with the tortoise <laughs> reputation you might get people doing that to you you know you gotta you I gotta did. start I, showing I actually, some bluffs. i actually check i was i actually was in a a small game last week and i check raised a gut shot yeah um and and, and i got two people to fold top pair Oh wow! Can you, See, can you imagine? Uh, once, isn't it fun when they disrespect you? But imagine you actually they were lying. like, they're like, oh, you could just have a set or queens or king. It was, a, it was, it was literally like a limp pot. Yeah. Like, you could have queens or kings. <laughs> like, no, I cannot. Imagine, imagine twenty years from now when tortoise can actually also be old man coffee. When we combine oh the power God. of the tortoise image and the power of the old man coffee image, and we can literally mix them together. Every hand. Yeah, you're going to be able to play a 100% VPIP, 100% bluff frequency. Just yeah. nobody is ever going to call you. It's going to be powerful. Right. I bet Can't you're looking wait. forward to that. <laughs> Being 60-something. Yeah, so let's... Uh, the, the third one, we had, we had one more, yeah, one let's, more topic, right? Let's quickly right? go to the third one. Yeah. Roll the clip. Uh, I'm supposed to be the person rolling the clip. Roll the clip. Roll the clip. You don't have a clip. <laughs> the clip. The clip is me. The clip is Landon the looking up what the, the gender is the on third his phone. One, yeah. No, I think that the third one is about not overvaluing middle strength hands. Correct. Um, Kill the habit of yes. overplaying medium strength. Yeah, hands. and I think that for the most part, this this comes down to a couple of things. I think this comes down to people having a an attachment to strong preflop hands first of all, or an attachment to like a certain value of hand where you get aces and you feel like you're supposed to win. You're entitled to win. And then the second thing comes down to just not being able to accurately evaluate what a strong hand or a weak hand actually is, right? And yeah, that's I think that's the big one. Mm -hmm. Like that's like the charades, you know, like where you do yeah. like the nose. That's what right. it is. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's just a question of understanding that in in some spots, you know, top pair is a very strong hand. In some spots, an over pair is not that strong, and there, there's a, a wide variability there from one context to another of how it's going to change. You know, in a four bet pot. Like jacks might be, you know, your weakest overpair on a ten high board, and there might be a lot of spots where jacks is just going to lose there in a deep stack four bet pot. Jacks at a shallow SPR in a tournament spot at twenty big blinds, it's like that's a really strong hand now on most boards, and even if it's like second pair, it's going to be very strong on a lot of boards too. So, mm. in the end, you just have to be very, very adaptive to the to the context of the the spot that you're in because it's just going to wildly change what those definitions or those boundaries are according to, you know, or of, of where a middle strength hand actually is, you know? It's not just the boundaries. It's also the understanding of the action and the nodes taken. Yeah, right? 100%. Because you have aces in a spot with low SPR and you go bet, bet, jam. It's like, okay, very clearly this can be all in. Yeah. You play a single raise pot where somebody check raises flop and then like call it, has like a polar lead shot mm -hmm. on the turn and then jams for a, like a very, a very big amount. It's like, yeah. oh, this hand actually isn't as good as a potential mm -hmm. other hand that the machine knows is better from a bluff catching perspective. Right, yeah. Right, so now once you realize, okay, top pair with these sort of, uh, call it blockers, unblockers, mm -hmm. isn't actually very good. But mm -hmm. middle pair with a nice blocker for whatever for the other reasons that yeah. machine understands for their value range, mm -hmm. now this becomes a better call than something else. But the attachment of, oh, I have an over pair, this is right. clearly better than second pair, mm -hmm. is where people get fucked up. Yeah, and I, this happens even more multi-way. Uh, multi-way is like, I think, the one of the main areas where people just wildly, oh. like, misvalue hands right and you, so something like a uh, good example would be like five-way pot you it comes like king six three all hearts or something like monotone flop and you have like king queen of diamonds or something right so you have top pair with no flush card in your hand no backdoor draw no nothing 
a pure top pair in that spot in a five-way pot is not a hand that should be looking to put a substantial amount more chips in the pot. And if you start like no. firing out bets because you want to like protect against another heart coming or something like that, it just becomes suicide. It just becomes like you're 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 putting money in the pot with like probably fifteen or twenty percent equity in a five way pot. And it, it uh, people make mistakes all the time like that. They make the big they 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 like mm -hmm. fire out a big bet when it's it's just it's just supposed to be a small bet in that spot. Like yeah. if you're going to bet. And it's not right? even a question. And, but they're of, like, yeah. Yeah, it's not even just the sizing. It's it's that you you just have to be able to to look at top pair in a five way pot and on a monotone flop and say like mm -hmm. this hand is just not very good. Like how this can is you a, win? Right. right. How how what's my actual route to winning this hand other than right. I bet out of desperation and they all fold, right? Right. If, and if you get to showdown, they just have nothing. Yeah, right. exactly. If it gets to showdown, how likely am I to actually win here? Especially if right. more chips go in the pot. And there's plenty of spots where the likelihood of you actually winning is really, really low. So I think people yeah. just don't respond enough to these types of situations. They they look at hand values too too statically. They look at hand values too much in terms of just is it one pair, two pair, over pair, et cetera, et cetera. And um they they end up just like stacking off with second best way too much. And then conversely as well, they just undervalue certain hands in other spots, you know, and, and it's uh it's gonna be like not getting value from a strong top pair. Like this happens in tournaments all the time. Like 30 big blinds deep king high flop you flop you have king queen like on king six deuce rainbow in the big blind and you're like not willing to check raise despite the fact you have a really good high equity top pair at a shallow spr with a wide range versus a yeah, wider the, yeah in the spot where it's like wide range against wide range or like another good one and you see this in tournaments all the time is blind versus blind right people just they play blind versus blind really passively anyway because the ranges are super wide but they just won't raise for value in spots where like they flop a top pair. But if you, if you flop a top pair in like a limped pot oh. blind against blind, you have a really high equity hand and your hand is going to want to play multiple streets for value a lot of the time. So in the end, like flopping top pair with nine deuce off on a flop of nine, four, three in a limped pot blind on blind when you're the, you're the big blind, like, yeah, you should raise a lot because top pair is a good hand. You know, top pair is a good hand when your opponent has possibly 60, 70, 80% of the deck, you know? Mm. So the hand values really do alter depending on the context and you have to be willing to adapt to that. There's definitely a uh, like correlation between hand absolute hand strength and propensity to put chips in the middle. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And normally, in most cases, that's probably a good idea, right? Overpair, good mm -hmm. hand. Uh, call it set, good hand. Flush, good hand. Full house, good hand. But there's some spots where you can fold full houses. Like, mm -hmm. full houses are just very clearly indifferent or zero EV based off the lines taken and based off of the cards that show up. Mm -hmm. So now it's this in-between of realizing, okay, how does my hand actually work from relative hand strength? Because yeah. now I might have, call it ace-king, where I block all of his aces and king overpairs for full houses, where mm -hmm. I'd want to call this overhand like pocket sixes that do nothing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So these are the different kind of spots and it happens over and over again. It's not just the full house situation. Sometimes you have call it weak flush for, on versus certain nodes, right? Sometimes you have straight mm -hmm. in certain nodes and now you have to sit here and think, okay, how does my hand actually look in relation to the person's range? Mm -hmm. And like step one is knowing the baseline mm -hmm. of what's the theory say, like, where do his bluffs come from? What is his value hands? Yeah. Because if you're beating too much value, you can't start folding. Right. But if you're not beating value and you put into a bluff catching node, you have to worry about, okay, what are the bluffs? 
what's the value does the opponent that i'm playing against in this specific situation actually have those bluffs enough for the right. time yeah yeah and i think there's there's another element to that that goes even further which is there are specific nodes where you you can have a blocker to something that seems like it's relevant but it's not actually relevant right like you can have a blocker to a flush card Actually, I, look, I just looked at a spot like this the other day for my uh, for a series that I, I just put out, or I, I just recorded that's coming out soon, um, which was a spot where it was a monotone flop that bricked off Turn and River, and in intuitively you would think that bluffing with a card of the flush suit on the river would be good because you would block any of the slow-played flushes. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it didn't want to block the, the flush suit because blocking the flush suit would mean you also block their hands that are like top pair with a heart, which is the stuff that you want to get to fold, right? right? So you end up in a situation where it feels like a good blocker, but it's actually not. And you can be in the inverse spot with a bluff catcher as well, where it like it feels like a bad bluff catcher, but it's actually slightly better or vice versa. So there's a ton of weird stuff that can go on when you start thinking about blockers. Yeah, it's more so like call it the range intimacy, if you will. Where you're aware of Intimacy. like, yeah, okay. it's like where you're aware of what they have. Like if you know somebody's range better than them, yes. you're going to be able to make EV off of that. Yeah. And we if um, you know your range to a strong extent, you know your boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. I know in some spots I'm going to be wider than theory, right. or I'm going to be looser, uh, or I'm going to be tighter in theory in some nodes. And that's all predicated on the environment. It's not just this steadfast, okay, I'm going to play this way versus everybody mm -hmm. and see how that works. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, when it comes down to poker, the baseline is super important and it's what you need when you have no other ways to potentially mm -hmm. try to generate. Yeah. Right? And now you're trying to figure out how does this person react and what do I think their range looks like in order to counterpunch that? Because mm -hmm. if you don't have an idea, you're now trying to use your baseline as your defense strategy right and that's what you do versus best in the field like best in the world best yeah. in the pools right mm -hmm. but when you're playing like call it live games like live one three two five you're playing small stakes online there are very clearly nodes that we've seen uh call it uh pre-mda mm -hmm. conversation there are spots where you can clearly take advantage until they'll stop letting you take advantage of it yeah right so it's almost like why are you not going to be the one taking advantage of the imbalances mm -hmm. when you know that the imbalances exist yeah there's a difference if you don't know the imbalances exist yeah but you do and I think this is the, this is one of the stumbling points that a lot of people run into, which is that they, they kind of understand that they should be trying to exploit their opponents. And they kind of understand that exploiting is the best way to make the most money. But they just simply don't have a very clear vision over what types of mistakes their opponents are actually making. And I, I think there's a lot of players out there who heavily resist trying to adopt some kind of theory-based or gto quote-unquote approach because they are just they recognize that their opponents are not very good and so they recognize they they should be trying to play exploitatively but the problem is if you ignore baseline for long enough you just can never have that vision over what mistakes your opponents are actually making right and so you have to get back to this point where you actually study the baseline approach in order to eventually move to to <laughs> using exploits and so many players will get locked in this mentality of, well, why would I ever want to play GTO against bad players? But if you aren't currently already exploiting those bad players to a high degree, 
then GTO is going to do better than whatever you're currently doing right now. Yeah. And you learn it as a stepping stone so that you can move into the exploitative mm -hmm. realm once you actually have a clearer idea of how it works. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Jeremiah when I was yeah. a student like three years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a stable and we had a live trip in Hollywood. And I went on like this huge rant. It was like me versus the entire house. I'm yeah. like, why am I even learning theory in the first place? Like these guys all <laughs> suck. Like these guys are all so bad. Yeah. Like why, why am I spending my time doing this? And we were saying, well, if you don't really know why they're bad, it's like, why? Well, step one, mm -hmm. why are they bad? Right. What makes them bad? Yeah. If you, oh, they do this, they do that, they do that. It's like, okay, if you know what the bounds are, you know how far you can take it. Yeah, precisely. So and it's it the difference of increasing the win rate versus just getting better. Yeah. Like you're going to win. But are you winning the most? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, it's very, very easy in a lot of cases for someone to say, okay, well, my opponents are bad because they're, they call too much preflop, right? It's like, okay, sure, they call too much. It might be relatively easy to say that they call too much because you recognize that they're just calling any kind of random shitty hand, but you don't have a clue what the right amount is to be calling. Right. So you're never going to have any idea about where the line is when you run into an opponent who's not quite as bad as them, but who might still be making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to know, like, is this guy calling 10% too much, 20%, 50%, because you don't know where the line is. And that is, I think, a struggling point for, for so many because they, they have that resistance to, to learning the baseline because they know they're operating in this exploit environment. But the reality is you have to, you have to start with with the foundations you have to start with an understanding of of where where everything should be you know what what perfect poker should look like or would look like and then you can start evaluating okay well i can see this this and this clear weakness in the player pools that i'm playing in and now i can have a clear blueprint of, of how to target that but just being able to look at your opponents and say they're all fish it's like okay tell me how tell me why yeah tell me what it is that makes them fish you know yep for sure uh i mean you go I uh, yeah I can I can good uh, good um, good second good plug. observation yeah observational yeah, yeah. plug so it's uh, <laughs> it's called keep it simple uh, it's going to be using a lot of um, the new technology that's available on GTO Wizard so GTO Wizard AI uh, to to take a look into basically single sizing strategies so strategies that only use one bet sizing for each street and do not require splitting our range in a complex way. Uh, in you know all sorts all sorts of different uh sizings and, and things like that so just kind of starting with some theory stuff and moving through a, a, a set of kind of blueprint spots from preflop all the way through to the river and looking at how we can build a process that allows us to pick one sizing for each street and maximize our ev Nice. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Good. Spe speaking of intimacy, Melissa will be here tomorrow to yes. review your dating profile. That was and a good segue. I could t I could see where you were going with and that. And boy, do we have a juicy one for you. We have a it banger. Just, it just came in. I ain't telling no spoilers. You, you know, be a here juicy. For it. Oh, a juicy profile. We just Holy got sent. Holy okay. shit. We got That's why you've been as smiling. As a matter of fact, that. as a matter of fact, I want you guys to go into the comments and let me let me know who you think. The juicy profile belongs to. We gotta give something away if they get it right. Is it somebody? Uh, that, if you get it right, we get some you, merch. Is it somebody well known? No. Like somebody we know? We may have Look. talked about him in the last week. Brian doesn't oh, want to wow. send out no okay. merch. We'll figure it out. All, All right. right, we'll figure it out. I'm, I'm looking if forward to get, this, guys. The first person to get it correct gets something. I don't know what you're getting. Free month of Hawaii. That's what you Free get. Wow, you're just giving shit away now. Giving shit away. Here. That's how we do shit. Whose right. profile is it? Let me know in the comments, guys.
on that note we are out we'll be back at noon tomorrow and it's gonna be fun later squad peace yeah